I'm doing great, man. I'm doing really good. I, 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 I'm sorry. I gotta go back to it. I like the, I like it, man. You look, <laughs> Jack. <bro. laughs> I'm you great though. Nervous, uh, trying to set up live. I was like, I haven't done this before. I'm a mess. With <laughs> nah, man. We got it. We're on time. We're great, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I am in uh, Alabama. Uh, oh at, wow! Uh, on the on the family farm, uh, uh, it'll be ready for you. I saw your I saw your uh, I saw your um, uh, social media post. It'll be ready for you in like a year for Riders Retreat Place. Uh, oh uh, wow! Yeah, man. Well, I, I need to. I have two months right now to finish <laughs> the book now. So maybe for the next one. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. <laughs> We're early, so I just wanted to make sure I didn't uh, mess this thing up. You did it, man. We're we're early. We could just shoot the. Do you care to share where in Alabama? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> we knew the farm in uh, Loxley, Alabama. I, 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 quick, the quick story. I don't know if I've ever told you the story. Our, our staff has heard it a lot. Like, uh, um, my my great grandfather. This is like this is the house that that he built. Um, and the farm that um, he ran, and so my um, so my grandfather grew up here. And, uh, oh, and wow! So uh, the quick story is that you know he was my grand my great grandfather was a uh, was a um, foreman on the railroad, right, laying down railroad tracks, right, and um, hmm. and you know just all over. And so they they were coming to this part of the country, um, this part of Alabama, and uh, so his uh, uh, his boss said to him, "Hey." I need you to teach us everything you know, because we really be coming here and you barking out orders to everyone else, like because that's not what black people do. So like, teach us everything. He said, "Well, I'll 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 do you one better. Um, you can buy me out. I'll teach you everything." Oh I wow! Um, but you can just buy me out, and we can part ways. They said, "Cool." Uh, and so that's what happened. And so then he went to the woods just uh chilled in the woods like you know like started buying little pieces of land little pieces of land over time and then was like i want somebody to share this with uh so mm -hmm. you know he met my great grandmother who was young you know considerably younger than him uh and they had what 10 kids um mm -hmm. and, and uh and and you know and then the whole goal was to like teach every kid how to be a master at something mm -hmm. um, that they that that they could take care of themselves like it was you know like sort of i would say it's a it was a a old long time ago critique um on capitalism perhaps mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so crazy thing is his his he had a brother-in-law who and him and his you know uh wife were married and they had 10 kids almost every cousin had a kid their age and they also mm. taught all the kids how to do something um but my mother would say the differences between the two sides of the family is that like our side of the family, like we would use all our gifts, everything we knew, how to like, whether it's to like build stuff, make clothes, farming, everything. We take the very best of what we knew how to do, take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And if anything left over, we would sell it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
they would sell their best uh, and whatever they had left over, they would take care of themselves with it. Um, mm. And so there's, so, so, so it's just this like really rich history for our like, sort of land is that like, it's always been about taking care of our people, taking care mm -hmm. of our people first, right? Mm -hmm. And then, mm -hmm. and if the family everybody's taken care of or whoever you determine as your people are, then you can commodify it, right? right? right. When do you commodify the best that you've been blessed with, right? You know what I mean? Like sort of mm -hmm. like who you invested in first. So my parents in their retirement have restored the farm. Um, mm. uh, and so the farmhouse so where I'm sitting now is like the, the, the house my grandfather grew up in and his nine uh, brothers and sisters. So it's, so we come here for like, you know, a month, month and a half over the summer. And it's like uh, really, really cool. Really, really cool. And uh, so the kids run around outside, jump on the trampolines and stuff, et cetera. Mm -hmm. They're also you know, creating this space, like in, you know, like sort of space for folk to be able to come, folk in movement, folk, you know, artists, et cetera. Like to like, what does it look like to have a residency for folk to come, mm -hmm. be out of the way and, um, uh, you know, not close to a whole bunch, even though the beaches are very far away. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And to do whatever or rest or renew or whatever they want to do. So it's been cool spending time here and trying to like support my parents and, 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 their vision for like mm -hmm. for this uh land in our family so it's it's, it's really really cool i i, I like being here. it's really you know exciting just to be a part of it <laughs> that's incredible man i don't have anything like that in my family that i know of you know so much black land was stolen but right. uh i think that's also a perfect introduction to our conversation today we're talking about that legacy of infrastructure and um, leaving something, building something bigger than yourself and leaving something for others to really take hold of and, and, and to have and to make theirs, but also to remember the sacrifices that you put in. So that's, you know, not for nothing. That's an incredible introduction, right, for you to be able to have this conversation from the place that your great grandfather yeah. lived and worked and, and owned. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, and, I, and you know, ever you know, I, it'll be fun to just talk about in our in our time together. Just, I mean, today, but over the next year or so, like you know, what you know, what does infrastructure even the different forms that infrastructure takes, right? You know what I mean? I think there's ways in which to like be institutionalized. Like infrastructure is land. Infrastructure is information. Infrastructure are uh, are blueprints to like sort of how'd you do that? How'd you do that? Like. Um, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, like not to be um, limited in how we think about infrastructure, right? You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. it, it's not a technical term, but it's it is a uh, it's really around like sort of like you know what are we feeding each other, <laughs> and what are we mm -hmm. like, right? Like and 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 where do we go to get fed? Like that's 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 infrastructure, right? You know what I mean? Um, yes. Uh, so like it's just really. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, I just think about the ways in which sometimes, you know, we take or I take words or concepts that I was taught in graduate school and take and make that as the literal starting place when that's just some stuff somebody made up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, sort of what's it mm -hmm. to, to, to me and to you and to our families and to our friends and to our communities, like, uh, uh, is, is, uh, you know, like where where to start? When, when do we start getting taught the things that we need to let go of? And I'll, I'll always know where that line 
begins. <laughs> with mm -hmm. that. Uh, super cool. Well, like we're we're gonna be different than what you and I usually are. We're both gonna be on time, I guess. This is probably pretty <laughs> boom. This, this is pretty uh pretty um uh yeah not ordinary for me because I don't know that I'm always on time. So uh so I so I I'll, I'll get us started and you know folks come in and out. But uh yeah, welcome to who I, I don't know how to count the number. Feel like our ten or twelve or fifteen friends who are here thus far to this IG live hosted by 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 Frontline uh, Solutions. I haven't done this before, but I'm excited uh, about building and belonging uh, black. Um, mm -hmm. You know, which is really uh, we kind of made that up, right, Phil? Just as we were mm -hmm. stuff we want to talk about and how we want to engage with each other. Uh, I'm Marcus Littles, senior partner at Frontline. Uh, Black-owned, Black-led consulting firm uh, dedicated to making the world a more just, uh, uh, inclusive place and advancing liberation for all, particularly for Black people. Um, you know, our, our team, as, as you've gotten to know, Phil, are, are really a diverse set of folk who are, you know, activists and scholars, advocates, coaches, strategists, artists, uh, everything, um, you know, really who are, um, uh, and, and we're all really excited that, that, that Phil uh, uh, has joined us to be our first ever uh, organizer in residence. Um, uh, again, something that we, we collectively made up, but the, the creation of this, of this residency uh, is rooted in a commitment and practice uh, of being guided uh, by movement leaders and is, is aimed at deepening our connection to and understanding the history, uh, the present, uh, and the future. Uh, uh, of Black-led organizing and movement building, and so you know, Phil has been a uh, has 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 been um, a colleague and a friend, and and we've we've uh, been in in, in various uh, places and, and spaces uh, together. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that for this. Someone uh, <laughs> uh, who I uh, it's it's cool to have an official capacity, but who I've had a lot of respect and love for for, for a period of time, and so it's fun that we figured out. A way that um engage but um yeah so but i'll let you introduce yourself phil and but also tell us a little we're going to talk about the residency some and what we're trying to imagine together but i'd love you to 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 um talk about uh blackman build um uh and and then also some why you're a little why you're excited to, to to work in and play around with stuff with uh frontline for a little while mm-hmm um, well, I'm excited to be here with you, as you said. You know, I remember all those years back. Shout out to Brother Marcus Carson yes. uh, for, for connecting us all those years back at, at the uh, Intercontinental Hotel in Miami. I'll <laughs> never forget that. <laughs> um, you didn't and... want to for Parker, so you just pull it and you ask the man. Watch this. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. I still hate paying for parking. It's still right. something I just I can't understand what we got to do. But, um, you know, I'm a native of Chicago, Illinois. I'm the oldest of four boys. I'm the son of uh, Barney and Teresa Agnew, a preacher and a teacher. And uh, they just had the opportunity to be or I had the opportunity to host them here in Miami with my brothers. And that was a great joy for me. And uh, they are the reason that I am able to to be and to move about in the world. So I, I want to do better at honoring them every time I do anything. 
Uh, I'm the co-founder of Dream Defenders organization that started in 2012 after the murder of Trayvon Martin that still is growing, still is flourishing, still is um, striking fear in the hearts of right-wingers and corporate people and politicians here in the state of Florida. And last year, I had the honor of helping to co-found an organization called Black Men Build, an organization that's dedicated to organizing and transforming Black men. And when we say organizing, we mean building organization uh, where, where Black men are able to work in concert uh, for the betterment of Black people and Black liberation. And when I say transformation, I mean that the way that we are, the way that manhood has been taught to us is woefully insufficient and it is killing us and forcing us to hurt anybody that comes close to us. And so we believe that members of Black Men Bill have to transform what it means to be a man, what it means to be masculine, all those different things. And so that's our goal, big goals. Bringing Black men together on one page is a big enough goal, uh, but bringing Black men together to transform and work in the service of Black freedom is a whole other thing. And so that's what we exist to do. Most recently, we just released our third publication. It's called Wartime. And in those pages, you're going to see conversations with men questioning ourselves, uh, questioning our relationships to each other. You're going to see articles from Black women. You're going to see articles about colorism, about misogyny. You're also going to see articles about weapons and um, the need to protect ourselves. Um, and so in all the different ways, we're trying to use Wartime as an opportunity to talk about the ways the, the 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 broad spectrum of thoughts and questions and doubts and um, conversations that black men have. Uh, so that's what I'm doing now. And I'm honored and excited for this partnership because it gives me a moment to 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 pause and to talk to somebody in you and in the entire staff of uh, frontline people that I respect a great deal. And uh, I can bounce ideas and thoughts and have those ideas and thoughts um, from your staff and from you bounced off of me. And so this exchange is really important, especially as COVID has limited the opportunity to be in physical space with one another. Yeah, really cool, man. Uh, and I, I have, I have, I feel like I haven't asked, I have a lot of questions uh, and, and uh, uh, around Blackman Build um, and, and uh, the why and the how and, and where it's going. And, and, and we can get into it some, but I, I think, one of the things you and I were talking about is, is and I've been thinking a lot about this year uh, through the pandemic and racial uprisings and all the time we've spent distance from one another uh, mm -hmm. about, about building and about belonging. Uh, mm -hmm. What does it mean to, to build movement, to build black institutions, to build our best uh, black selves in a moment of relative social isolation? Right. Mm -hmm. to, right. What does it mean to belong to communities, to belong to institutions, to belong to causes in this in this moment? Right. Like, I mean, and, and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I, I listen to, you know, Alicia Garza's, um, uh, you know, podcast all the time. And she always asks her guests, like, what have you been learning and what are the skills you've gained? you know, during COVID and it's always, it's, she's really smart about it and, and, and the different folk who've engaged. But I think this is a little bit different around like sort of, yeah, but what does it mean to build something? You've been building an institution and also mm -hmm. because I tell you, well, you've been like doing hard work to build yourself, your whole self, uh, you know, uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically, right? Um, uh, you know, mm -hmm. what does it mean to do that in isolation? Um, 
and 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 has has the last year taught you anything about belonging, belonging, mm -hmm. and 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 how have your thoughts about belonging um, uh, evolved in relative isolation? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, in the U.S., they teach you that um, it is very human to put self-preservation over anything. I think we're taught that the, really the first law is uh, survival, personal survival, and that is put over everything. But I think uh, what drives most people um, is not just survival. I think we're forced into that mode, and that's maybe another conversation or something we'll talk about later. But I think most people are driven by the desire and the need to belong. And we all want to belong to something. And it is that belonging that forces us to do you know, some negative or hurtful things and, and, and some positive things. I know from a very young age, I always wanted to belong. And so I, I you know, I did all thing, all type of things that really weren't in me, you know, things that I wanted to do in order to belong to other things. And I think for a long time, that drove a lot of my activities. And, uh, but at the end of the day, human beings want to be together. We're social, no matter how I'm a part-time, you know, introvert, extrovert, but no matter how much of those tendencies you have, you desire for a connection with other people. And COVID, I think, gave myself, and I'm going to do my best to speak in I and not generalize for what other people felt, but it definitely gave me a lot of time to go within myself and to really examine the ways in which I was um, misleading or um, dishonest or mistrustful or distrustful or not, a, not, not the best person, right? Um, and what came of that is um, a desire really to connect more deeply with the people who I did still have in my life. And what to ask myself what is required in order to connect more deeply, to belong more deeply with other people in my life. And what came from that was a desire and a need towards honesty and um, vulnerability and a desire, a true desire towards intimacy and for intimacy. And what I saw is that I wasn't the only person in my immediate circle who was wondering that and wanting that. And what I also witnessed is that I had the occasion to be around a, a number of men, brothers, black men, who are also desiring of that and questioning, um, you know, why they had become the way that they had become and why they were the way that they were. And I think that this past year gave all of us a moment of pause to really start to interrogate our interior worlds, to steal a phrase from my, my former partner, Aja, to interrogate really our interior worlds and to begin to build better and to build deeper and to build more honestly and more truthfully um, something that we hadn't experienced before. And Black Men Build, while it did not come out of COVID, we had already began to germinate and talk about what we wanted Black Men Build to be as far back as 2019, and some of us in, in conversations all the way back many years. Yeah. What COVID did was it really fortified the need for belonging, for love, for care, for honesty to be at the core of what we were building.
as far as black men build is concerned. And so if you had asked me before COVID what the goals of black men build were and would be, I most likely would have said that it is to organize black men to engage this country in a political manner. And I would have been forceful and proud of that goal. And I still am. We had that on our, our initial paperwork that we want to pr provide a place for black men to come together and engage this country politically. But um, now, as I said at the beginning of this call, that goal has grown to transformation as well because we are believing more firmly than ever that um, in order for us to truly belong to something that is powerful, that truth, honesty, vulnerability, intimacy have to be at the core of that, that grace has to be a complement to accountability at the core of that. And I, I don't know if I veered too far off of your question, but those are the things that have come up for me personally, and then I think have been exhibited, hopefully, in the way that we've been trying to build Black men build intentionally uh, towards a goal of um, building something with true belonging yeah. that that Black men do yearn for, that all Black people do yearn for, and that Black men um, need and it is required so that we are not an impediment towards Black liberation because we're so steeped in white trap, uh, white Western masculinity, um, patriarchy as our only means of power, all of those things that are destructive to ourselves, to other people and destructive towards movement. In everything you just said, like, is that belonging something that all black men long for from each other, right? And 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 are we? Are, do we teach each other intimacy and in the role of, of 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 black women, sort of non-binary folk, et cetera? And and again, this is not a critique of like it is to understand like just what some of the thinking is. And I also I'm so want to talk some around part of this building and belonging is around. Mm -hmm. Do what does it mean? I I have this thing around like. Do I have to be a member of something to belong to it? And actually, mm. this notion of membership, like, in, mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, like, sort of, and maybe it's the part of me that's always pushing back against, like, the, the rules of white supremacy or, it, like, sort of, you need this to be this. I'm like, no, nah, I don't believe that. Even if mm -hmm. I do, I that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so, the notion around membership. I'm really, really um, um, uh, interested, interested to, to, like, how does belonging and membership like go together, right? Like, in, right. In, okay. Personally, but also around, black, you know, black men build, and then and this notion around, uh, and uh, you know, and because I understand, I just want us to talk about this more, like, sort of, what is it that men need to get from other men, specifically, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because that doesn't mean that's the source of all of our, like, where we get all our stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, you know, we read bell hooks every night, right? Like, I think mm -hmm. that you know, black men build was built with an explicit black feminist lens, like, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, something that you're trying to uncover around what folk get from one another. Yeah, that's deep. So I, I was reading Bell Hooks and I was reading, well, Roxanne Gay and um, and Edwige Danticat. I was really making an attempt, and I still am making an attempt to read just in general more books written by women. Yeah. Um, uh, black women in particular. I think I need to read more books written by black trans folks, et cetera. I, I'm not, 
I, I hate to really put on like I've I've attained this level. I'm really trying. I'm on this this pursuit of it. But um, that so yeah, that was a part of my practice, intentional practice this year, and also to read less uh, nonfiction. You know, I was reading a lot of you know historical texts, et cetera. So that did inform a lot of our thinking. It informed the way that we've tried to develop our our organizing mantra, which is come as you are, grow as you go. So it, it's, it's built under this belief around grace and accountability. And that's what I witness and read from black feminist texts, in particular, bell hooks. It's this level of grace and understanding um, towards brothers um, and towards masculine folks. And, and then that complement of accountability that comes with it. So it's not an immediate, like, you know, you know, you're not you're not down with us. You don't got it. You're not with us. You're a problem. You're the enemy. You're the op. You're the you're the, you're the opposite. You're an impediment. You're an obstacle. But really, hey, you lo- yo, you you you're messing up, and we know why you're messing up. It's because you've been taught this way, and we know you don't truly desire to be this way. Or maybe that's a hypothesis. But if you talk to us for a little while, I think you don't want to be this way. And here's another way forward, and let's go on this journey together. And I think that that is a particular role um, that black men should occupy because we've we've been taught from a very young age that other brothers are your enemy. They're trying to get something over on you. They're trying to take something from you. They want to judge you, um, that they want your woman, that they want your your manhood, that, you know, all these things that we're taught about other black brothers. And so I do think there is something politically and personally powerful about breaking that wall down and not seeing other brothers as your enemy. I also want to own that we've been also taught to, you know, to use women as our, as our, as our, um, as our shoulders to cry on. Right. And so a lot of that work and a lot of that labor has typically been the domain um, or has been seen or been programmed as a domain of women. Hey, let's run, you know, let me run to this, the sister or this person that I'm intimate with, um, and maybe more in a physical way to talk to them, you know? And so I think um, that that burden has to be shared a little bit more. And I think black men need to break down that wall and, and begin to form those bonds. I do want to quickly answer your second question or attempt to answer your second question. Membership does not have anything to do with belonging. I think we all feel that we belong to a number of different communities um, that we are not members of, formal members of, dues-paying members of, whatever, active members of. I still know that I belong to Alpha, but I haven't paid my dues in many, many years, you know. So, you know, um, the, and, and that goes for things that are not as um, tangible. You know, we feel that we're a part of the Black community, but there's no membership cards being given out. They're being revoked, but they're not being given out, you know. And the reason that membership is important for Black men build is because this belonging, this transformation, this organizing does have a political purpose. And on one hand, it is we believe that Black men are, deserve to be a part of the movement and to be transformed in the service of the work, as Sister Mary Hook says. But also, we want to have and exert political power. And political power comes in the form um, of organized people. And so if you want to be able to throw your weight around as a political entity, we believe that is very prudent and important for you to count members, people who contribute their service and their finances into your organization so that it could grow and exert some sort of political power and move some sort of political agenda. So for us, membership is a key part of belonging, but not the only piece. Yeah. And and that's helpful. And that was about Black Men Bill, but it also is, as, as we've, talked about and, and, and things that we're going to probably 
uh, ask these questions together during your residency is around what is the future of Black institutions? What's the future of building political power? And and what are the role? What is the role? Is the role of member-based institutions the same now as hmm. it is, in, in, as it, what it as it will be? And even how we think. I mean, again, like I mean, not to sound super old around how you know, like how we connect with folk via virtually social media. I mean, we have more tools to connect now than we ever have before, right? And so it's not mm -hmm. a either or; it's a both and proposition. But it is, but it is also around that that. I, you know, I feel like a lot, a lot of political power has been built based on uh, membership institutions, membership-based institutions. Mm -hmm. it, you mm -hmm. know, uh, um, because black people had agency over our own institutions. Like, sort of, I can build an institution. Here's how yes. you know, members, and no one can say, no one else can legislate who can join my church, my civic club, my 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 um, you know my community organizing entity. Right? Like, mm -hmm. no one else. Like white supremacy can't get in there, right? Like mm -hmm. um, uh, in the same way, right? So, th is is that um, is that changing? Is that evolving? Right? Like, what is the what 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 are the characteristics of black movement institutions twenty years from now that are different than right now? Right? Um, right. I'm gonna turn you into a futurist, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not the best at that. Well, you know, actually, I am afflicted with that. I always think about the future and the past. I got to be more present, actually. Mm -hmm. But that's a great question as well. I, I mean, I'm interested in your thoughts on this too. So maybe we can, I can bounce it to you after this, a, a, after I give a stab, maybe. But I think one, I, I talked in the previous answer about membership being important for you to exert this external force you know we're unstoppable force against an immovable object you need membership organizations to be able to advance and to move and to exert but there's also an internal function of membership it holds you accountable or it's yeah. supposed to it gives you experience with what governance looks like or gives the people experience with what governance looks like it gives the people experience with what democracy looks like what decision shared power looks like all of those things that are required in nation building if you believe in you know, nations or states, we can debate about that. But if you want to get into a place where with that external power, you're able to actually decide what your lives look like, then you better have had some experience doing that within the confines of a political organization. And this is the other, yes, absolutely, focus is liberation. And I would say that is another function of why membership is important because you need to build this organism with living, breathing people who have different thoughts and want to debate and want to talk and that is what is required. That is what is required when you when we win. And so that's another thing, a reason why membership is important. I would say in the future, you know, I don't I don't see the importance of membership based organizations decreasing at all. I think that we've proliferated over the last few years a great number of number of individuals who purport themselves to be leaders of movements. Some people would say I'm I fall in that umbrella as well. Um, and, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of self-aware in that way, but I think that we've popularized this celebrity individualism that says that, um, you know, famous or, 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 or popular or, uh, 
blue check of which I fall into that umbrella. These people are the people who make movements and who make the world shake and who move things and who win justice and who win cases and who win campaigns. And I think that is a dangerous, dangerous place for this society to be in, to believe that individuals and celebrities and small groups of individuals working together um, are the are the the holders of what our future black liberation looks like. And so I think the importance of membership organizations is going to increase over the next few years as people who are heavily connected, more connected than ever, but more divided than ever, um, more isolated than ever, more alienated than ever. Um, people are going to want to um, belong more than ever. And a, a little analogy I use, and then I'll end this, is, you know, we we've moved from eight track, well, from vinyls to eight track players, um, to, to tapes, to CDs, to MP3, to just everybody streaming. But I think vinyls have the, the, the demand for vinyls over the last few years has skyrocketed. Hmm. And um, while this might be a messy analogy, I do think that there still is a desire inherent in most people for, for that feeling of being able to touch something of being able to hold and have something and look at the craftsmanship of it and to experience um, maybe the messiness of it and to hear the cracks in the music, et cetera. Um, and I think the same goes for people wanting to connect with other people. As much as we have this new technology, VR, AR, all those things, I believe that the future of movement building is the past of movement building. We're going to have to build and nurture membership organizations.